Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. And all of our live streamers, we are so glad that you are tuning in and joining us. Sometimes we just don't realize how big this room actually is. We are streaming out to multiple countries right now, also all over the United States. So let's give all of our online people a, just a huge shout out. <clears throat> my name is Penny Maxwell, for those of you who I have not met yet. Uh, my husband and I are the senior pastors here at Freedom House. And uh, we, for those of you who don't know how we do things around here, uh, we actually have a teaching team. So we have live teachers and speakers at all of our campuses. So I actually am also a part of the teaching team as well as my husband who were the senior pastors, but we're part of the team as well. And so he's at South End today. I am here with you all and with all of our live streamers. And then Pastor Michael is up at our Lake Norman campus. So I am just honored to be here with you. Uh, one of the things that was really important to us and the vision that God gave to Pastor Troy and I is that we didn't want to just beam in our service here from our central campus into our other campuses. We wanted to make sure that people that had a gift to teach or to speak or had that leadership call on their life, that we allowed them to use that because Pastor Troy and I are not the show. We're not the big deal. We're two people with a call of God on our life, and we feel like there's other people that are in this church that have a call on their life to speak and to teach, and we love to equip people to do the work of the ministry. So that's our heart. Uh, that's why we do what we do, because if Freedom House, um, or if Pastor Troy and I were gone tomorrow, God forbid, Freedom House would go on because it's not built around our personality. It's built around the Word of God. Speaking of the Word of God, how many of you have been loving this series, Papyrus, we've been in? It's been an incredible series. Uh, it's called Papyrus, It Is Written, is the little tagline. And papyrus literally means paper. It's the ancient Egyptian word paper because that's where the paper that we know of that we use today was derived from ancient Egypt. Originally, it started from this papyrus plant. They would take this plant, they would pound it out super thin. It was a, a reed, a pithy reed plant, and it was a water plant. They would take it, they would pound it out, and they would make it so thin and dry it out, then you would be able to write on it. Now, back in Bible days, in order for you to write something down, it had to be of grave importance because it was extremely, extremely expensive, and it was quite a process to do so. It wasn't like what we do now with our little sticky notes where we can just quickly pull out a Sharpie and post them in different places. It was a whole different ball game, right? So what they would do is they would take this paper, they would dry it out, and that is what the Word of God, the majority, obviously we know the Ten Commandments were written on stone first, but the majority of our word that we have today was written on papyrus, and they would roll it up into scrolls because if you folded it, it would crack. 
many, many years ago. This is what's so cool is that because that process was so important and not very many people actually in Bible days could read or write, it was a really big deal for something to be written. And so the fact that it was transferred all these years later and kept so we could continue to read it, I think is pretty incredible. Now, the Bible is divided up into a New Testament and an Old Testament. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with how the Bible is structured, Old Testament means Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. Now, in between the two of them being written, there's a couple hundred years in between, but the entire Bible, it's literally was 1,500 years in the making with 40 different authors, And all of them were pointing to the exact same thing, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in the Old Testament, there were more than 300 prophetic words, words speaking of the future and what was to come and what would happen in regards to Jesus. Over 300 prophetic words that Jesus actually fulfilled in the New Testament, which is unbelievable if you think about that. So some scholars and some mathematicians thought, well, how interesting is that, that somebody could literally in the Old Testament, these prophets could prophesy what was going to happen with Jesus and that Jesus could come and fulfill over 300 of them. Pretty insane. So they said, okay, let's figure out a math equation on what that could look like. If if it could possibly, if anybody else could possibly do that. I mean, because they were trying to figure out, I mean, is Jesus really the son of God? Is there anybody else that could literally fulfill all of those 300 plus prophecies that we know we have documented that Jesus did? So they said, okay, let's start with eight. Let's see what a math equation would look like if just one person, one person other than the son of God would be able to fulfill not all 300 plus, but just eight of those prophecies. What would that math equation look like? And the equation was one to 100 quadrillion for just eight, somebody being able to fulfill just eight of those prophetic words. Anybody ever seen 100 quadrillion before? I never had, right? Then then they said, okay, what, what if somebody could fulfill 48 of those prophecies? What might that look like in a math equation if somebody other than the Son of God could fulfill not the 300 plus, but, but just 48 of those prophetic words? Came back one in 10 to the 157th power. Now, that might not look like that huge of a number, 10 to the 157th power, until you see that actually with all of its zeros. That's what 10 to the 157th power looks like. That it could be anybody other than God's son who fulfilled not all 300 plus, just 40 Eight of those prophecies. 
The reason that I wanted you to see that is because I want us to understand sometimes when we think about the word of God, we think that it's just some dusty relic from grandma's attic and we don't understand the power that is in the word of God. That it's alive and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two other any two-edged sword that's able to divide. So sometimes I think when when we are thinking about the word of God, we, we don't equate the power that's behind it. Because if we did, maybe we would be using the power a whole lot more than we are. Because if we're not careful, we can get all Drake. What do I mean by that? We can get all up in our feelings. And this, this is completely opposite than my feelings. You see, this is all about my convictions. And my convictions, it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says is legal or not. This is where my convictions come from. It's not about what I feel because can I tell you, most of us, whether it rains or whether it's sunny, our feelings change. They change very easily. How many women in here ever been pregnant? Our emotions dictate how we feel, whether we like it or not. And when we start acting a little crazy, then our husbands start getting all up in their feelings too. Our feelings change on whether we get them hurt or not. Our feelings are up and down. They are not reliable. They're not bad. They're simply an indicator of where we're at, but they are not something we are to base our life on. And that's what gets us in trouble is when we try to build our relationship with the Lord on how we feel in the moment. Because our feelings are like a roller coaster. They're going to take you for a huge, big old ride. But the word of God is what we want to build on because it's sure. It's strength. And I'm telling you what, in society right now, you know, the more that things change in the world, the more we need to depend on the thing that never does. Because society is all over the place. If your kids are asking you, hey, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? I remember one of my kids came home one time. And she said to me, she was in sixth grade because I knew what she was being taught in school. She said, Mom, why is it again we don't want people to have equal rights as we have? And I said, oh, mm-mm, no, 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 mm-mm. I said, sweetheart, let's have this conversation. The Supreme Court does not dictate to us what marriage looks like. It's not popular to have certain conversations, but can I just tell you the reason as a pastor I can stand up and have these conversations because I'm not interested in what people think about me. I care what God has to say. And as a shepherd, people love it when the shepherd pick the sheep up and pet them, but the shepherd also has a staff in his hand for jerking sometimes, right? Our job is to make sure that we teach the word of God, not what just comes down through culture. Culture is not going to save your soul, and it will not grow your family. So we have to make sure that everything we do 
bases itself on the word of God. Because I'm going to tell you, my feelings, they shift, they change. The word says, love your enemies. My feelings don't say that. It's contrary. So I've got to listen to one or the other, right? Right? The word says we need to give sacrificially. My feelings don't always like that. Because see, our feelings can find security in things other than this. My feelings say, give somebody the Hawaiian good luck sign when you're on 77 stuck in traffic. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The word of God says, be patient. I'm like, oh. It crucifies my flesh on a daily basis. The word of God says, don't retaliate when somebody comes after you. My flesh doesn't say that. It says, give them a piece of your mind. Let them know. Don't mess. Don't mess. You see, what happens is, is oftentimes we can get confused about things. And when we get confused, we take it back to somebody's opinion. Instead of going, okay, well, what did, what did the word of God have to say about that? How many of you have ever been reading through the Bible and you... You see where it says so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. You're like, I, like skip. Hello, how many people have ever done that? Come on, you just skip through the genealogies and, and all, the, the, all the different laws that were written out. And it, I've done it too. But can I just tell you that that's not in the Bible to bore you? The reason it's in the Bible is because it actually authenticates itself. Every single thing in the Bible can be traced back through genealogy, through histories, through cities, times, places, dates. That's why the Bible is so specific and those things are actually in here. It's to authenticate itself and to prove itself. I was reading Acts and just Luke, the writer of Acts, was talking about 32 different countries he was in, 54 different cities, and in nine different islands that he was on, all without air, times, dates, places, it authenticates itself. That's why we see certain things that are in the Bible, because it's been proved over and over and over, and every single thing in the Bible points back to this one thing. God created us and wants a relationship with us. You know, when my kids were little, they're almost 22, almost 20, and then almost 18. So I just graduated my last one from high school, praise Jesus. Just graduated my first from college, praise Jesus. I see the home stretch. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But when they were little, I would take the Bible and I would say, hey, hey, come over here. Little tiny, little tiny tots, little cute. It's back when they didn't back talk yet, you know what I mean? Um, and I would say, hey, come over here. And I would call them over and I would put, I'd put the Bible down on the ground. And just for those of you, just uh, want to clarify a little bit, who may feel like that's sacrilegious to do that, the word of God is not fragile. People are, but God is not. So I would, I would put the Bible down on the ground and I would say to them, hey, come over here. And one at a time, I would have them take their little shoes off with their chubby, cute little feet. And one at a time, I would have them come and stand on the Bible. 
And I would say to them, I say, listen, I want to show you what you're going to need to do the rest of your life. You're going to need to stand on this word. And you're doing it right now physically, but I want you to understand that spiritually, this is what's going to happen the rest of your life. Everything you are, everything you ever hope to be is because this right here is what you are going to stand on. And so as little kids, yeah, y'all can clap. So as little kids, they would sing this song, and y'all can sing it with me. I know you know it. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand upon the See, you guys know it. See, that's the thing, though, is sometimes we know it here, but it needs to drop 12 inches here. And I wanted my kids to not just sing the song or not just physically do that, but constantly understand and be reminded that that is how we're going to live our lives successfully as Christians because the world's going to be throwing a lot of stuff at us. And we've got to know how to stand strong when the storms of life come. Luke 21, it says, Earth and sky will wear out and fade away before one word that I speak loses its power or fails to accomplish its purpose. Matthew 24, heaven and earth, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 5, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, I love this one. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see how this right here is our guidebook for life? Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. You know, when I have an issue with my car, I don't know a whole lot about cars, but when I have an issue, I go open the glove compartment and there is the owner's manual. I pull the owner's manual out and it lets me know why the light is on and what I need to do about it. Some of us, the light is on in our life and we need to go back to the owner's manual and figure out why it's on and what we need to do about it. What I thought we would just kind of dive into today is You know, Jesus went through a lot of stuff, right? He walked through a lot of stuff. But what did Jesus do when he walked through situations? Because he walked through trials just like you and I do. But what was his response? How did he handle himself when he walked through messes in life? I want to take you to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to show you what Jesus did when he was faced with things in his life. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to read the first sentence and then I'm going to stop. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the, to be tempted by the devil. Now, where did I just read that Jesus was? He's in the wilderness. So I'm going to ask you that question multiple times as I'm reading through this scripture. But I also want to point out one other thing to you is when I started this scripture off, this is Matthew chapter four, verse one. 
It says, then Jesus was led. Well, when I see that, I want to know why is that there? What's the, what happened before the then? Because it says, then Jesus was led. Directly before this, Jesus was in the Jordan River being baptized because the call of God was made public on his life. We see where he's in the Jordan, the dove comes down, which is a representation of the Holy Spirit anointing him, comes on his life, and he is released for his ministry. He was released for his calling. So understand that Jesus himself, the call of God was on his life, was made publicly evident, and then the very next thing that happens Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The call was on his life. The very next thing that has to happen is the test. You see, sometimes we don't like the test. We just like the fact that we're called. God asked us to do something that's big, that's huge, and we like that. That makes us feel important But then when we have to go through the test to prove that we can actually do what he's asking us to do and keep our character, because see, sometimes our gift will take us where our character cannot keep us. So here is a situation where Jesus himself has to be tested. Why? Look at this building right now. This building has got steel structures all throughout it. Steel is given a grade, it's given a test before it can be used. Why? Because would you want something covering you that had not been tested? No. So what happens is when God says, hey, I've got this business I want you to start. Or hey, I want you to be a father. Hey, I want to give you this idea. You get tested how well you're going to do at that. Because you don't want to be a covering that cannot stand when the storms of life come. And the greater the call, the more the testing because the more people that are underneath the covering that can be impacted. So don't despise it when the tests come. That just means that God has something big for you and he needs to make sure you can handle it. The last thing you want is spiritually the roof coming down over top of you, right? So here's Jesus, just like you and I, he had to be tested as well. And it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It's not a sin to be hungry. We have to make sure we're hungry for the right things though, right? It says, then the tempter came to him and he said, if, if. If, if, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. It's so interesting to me. The devil has no new tricks because he's trying to attack the identity that Jesus has. And he does the same thing to you. When God gives you a call, he comes right at your identity. Can I do this? Am I good enough? Am I going to be able to pass this test? Am I going to be fit for the call? He will come right at your identity. Just this is a perfect model of what we go through. Perfect model. It says, then Jesus answered the devil, said, it is written. He quotes Deuteronomy to him. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Wait, 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 wait. I, I thought they were somewhere else. Where were they? How can you be in the wilderness and then in Jerusalem and the holy city at the same time? God is omnipresent, but the devil is not. How is that even possible? We'll keep reading and then I'll let you know. Says, he says to him, hey, again, coming at his identity, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And as a matter of fact, let me twist a little scripture because, you know, I'm really good at doing that. Throw a little scripture in there. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You see, because he didn't know if Jesus was the son of God, he's trying to get him to uncover himself. He's trying to figure out who he is, but Jesus didn't play that. Says Jesus popped back at him, the Maxwell translation. And his little toot, and he says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Wait, where are they? So how can he take him to a high mountain and show him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor if they're in the wilderness? Let's keep reading. Devil says to him, all of this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Here's what I want everybody in here to do. I want everybody just to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Nobody peeking because I can see you all online. All of you, close your eyes. I'm looking through that camera lens right now. Close your eyes. Right now, you are sitting on the beach in a beach chair. And what I want you to do is I want you to take your feet and I want you to wiggle them down into the sand. Just wiggle them down into the sand. There you go, I see y'all wiggling. Now the breeze is blowing and you can feel the breeze across your face and you can even feel the little bits of salt as it brushes by in the wind on your face. You can hear the seagulls in the background just lightly chirping. You can feel the sun and it's rays coming down on your cheeks and you can feel your cheeks just a little bit hot, getting warm. You can feel the waves coming in. You hear them and then you feel the cold water come up at your feet and it's just a little cold and you dig your toes further down into the sand. You can smell the suntan lotion that's on your skin. You can hear children in the background. All right, look up at me. Where did I just take you? I took you to the beach, but where are you right now? You're sitting in church. What I want you to understand, the devil is not omnipresent, but he can take your mind a bunch of different places. So what he's doing is he's attacking Jesus the same way he attacks you and me is in his mind. 
It said that he took him to the top of a mountain that he could see all the kingdoms and cities of this world. Our world is round. You tell me one mountain that you can go on the top of and see every kingdom in this world. You can't do it physically, but you can do it in here. The same way he attacks you and me, he was attacking Jesus, which is in the mind. I have never one time seen somebody end up in a hotel room with somebody that was not their spouse and say, I don't even know how I got here. I just just popped here in this hotel room. Uh, You know, we're not omnipresent. What happens is, is you go there in your mind first, and when you don't check your mind, your body follows. And what we're learning in this scripture, and I'll just finish it out, the last thing that Jesus says to him, he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, And angels came and attended to him. Here's the thing we have to understand. We don't just fall into sin. It's one unchecked thought at a time. And we end up in a place that we shouldn't be because we didn't check the thoughts at the door. How do we do that? The same way Jesus did. We confess the word of God over everything that we're walking through. No matter what it looks like, all of us are going through different things, but the devil's going to attack your mind every single time. He's going to say, your husband doesn't treat you like that guy at work does. Or insecurity. She looks better than I do. Eat away at your confidence. And when you let that stuff sit and settle, the next thing you know, you're in a ditch and you're like, how did I get here? One unchecked thought at a time. Now, the thing that I find so amazing about that scripture is that Jesus is the son of God. At any point, at any time, he could have invoked a miracle. He could have had bread rain down from heaven. He could have very easily taken those stones and turned them into bread. Jesus didn't go for the miracle. He simply spoke the word of God. Might I submit to you today Maybe it's not the miracle that you need, that you've been believing for. Maybe you just need to learn to invoke the word of God in your situation. Sometimes I think we're praying for a miracle that we don't need to be praying for. We need to learn how to use the word of God in our situation. Jesus was the perfect example of that. He spoke the word of God, spoke it out. Because God's word in your mouth is a spiritual weapon, a spiritual weapon. I, um, I love Thanksgiving for different reasons than my husband. My husband would tell you that the reason he loves Thanksgiving is because it's the only holiday where he said it's just so easy that he doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> and I've let him know that it's not that Thanksgiving is an easy holiday. It's the part that he just doesn't do anything. And I reminded him, I said, we have a 25-pound bird that I start brining three days ahead of time. 
And then after we brine it and we're cooking it the day of, it's being basted all day long. I'm looking after it. We have homemade mashed potatoes with homemade gravy. Come on, somebody. We have homemade Nana's mac and cheese with green bean casserole. I mean, we have homemade stuffing. We have the sweet potatoes with the little crumbly nuts and brown sugar on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, the homemade rolls, the pumpkin pie, the pecan pie, the homemade cheesecake. Y'all feeling me right now? You feeling me? I spend hours and hours and literally days making all of those things. I asked my husband to do one thing, just one thing. It's not that difficult. Can you just make the iced tea? Just make the iced tea. It's really not that big a deal, right? So we've been married for 27 years. So he's had 27 years of iced tea making experience. It's the only time we drink iced tea is Thanksgiving. So I'm in the kitchen and he comes in. I signal him that it's time for his iced tea making skills to be on display. He comes in. He decides he's going to do something different this year. He decides that he's going to come and get my really big jug that has like the, the spout on it, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? My big water jug. You can use it for iced tea. He decides that he's going to use that for the iced tea. The problem is, is that I see him take a couple cups of sugar and dump it into my big, large glass container. And I let him know. I said, hey, you know, I know how he makes his iced tea. So I said, uh, hey, um, are you planning on dumping hot liquid in there? Because you can't, this is not for hot liquid. You need to actually make it and then use this just to serve it. But you can't dump hot tea in there. <laughs> Troy Maxwell, your pastor, <laughs> looks up at me and he says, I don't believe you. And I was thinking, okay, how many cooking shows have you done on NBC? How many cookbooks have you written? This is my domain. This is my territory. You need to listen. And I said to him, I said, if we were to walk outside right now and pop open the hood, I said, I'm not telling you how it works underneath there. I said, because that's not my domain. I said, but you're in my kitchen, buddy. I'm telling you, that won't work. And then he does something I'll never forget. You ever seen those baseball players that get up to bat and they kind of taunt the pitcher a little bit and they kind of point where the ball's going to go, you know? He does that. He goes. And I said, what are you doing? He's like, out just points. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be fun. <laughs> so I go in the other room and I decide I'm going to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade and I turn the volume down so I can hear what's happening in the kitchen. <laughs> and maybe a minute goes by and all of a sudden it sounds like somebody shot a gun off. It was this boom. 
I didn't say a word, but I got up, went in the kitchen to survey the damage, and there is iced tea everywhere, shards of glass everywhere, and the dog with his tail between his legs just smiling at me said, you were right. <laughs> didn't say anything. I turned and went back down, sat in the den, on the sofa. And I said, you better believe this is gonna be in a message one day, Troy Maxwell. <laughs> so there you go. And I cut the volume back up on the parade so I didn't have to hear him cleaning and feel bad. Cause I wasn't gonna help him clean that mess up. Uh -uh. But you know what's interesting is that we do that to God all the time. We say, I don't believe you. Every single time when we don't do what the word says, we're saying, I don't believe you. And what happens is, is we end up with this sticky mess that we're standing in, shards of broken glass everywhere. And God's a lot better than me. He actually comes and helps us pick it up, <laughs> you know. He says, let me help you with that. I know you didn't listen. I know you caused it. But let me help you clean it up. And hopefully, maybe the next time, we can learn not to do that again, right? But what I found so interesting is that in the Bible, very clearly, God lays out our armor. And he says in Ephesians 6, he says, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, how many think that might be near? You may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. You see, here's the thing. The armor of God looks like this. The Bible calls it the helmet of salvation. It protects our thoughts right? The breastplate of righteousness, which covers all of our internal, our insides. The shield of faith that can withstand the darts that come from the enemy. The belt of truth that holds up everything of who we are. The sword of the spirit, the Bible says, is the word. Literally says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And then we've got the shoes of the gospel of peace, out of all the arsenal that God has given us, all the armor, there's only one that is an offensive weapon. Everything else is a defensive weapon. This is our offensive weapon. This is what we have that literally will take down the enemy if we just speak it out. But what good is a sword that stays in its sheath? We've got to use the weapons that have been given to us. And I think for me, I learned this. My, my middle daughter, she's almost 20 years old. I've had a long, long, I've been a pastor for a long time, 27 years I've been pastoring. I've learned a thing or two about relying on the word of God. Let me just tell you, when my daughter, when I was pregnant with her, some of you have heard this story. 
We promised the Lord that we would never stop talking about it. But when I was pregnant with her, five months pregnant, I, uh, I went into the doctor and I found out that there were tumors all throughout her brain. And I was distraught because the same day that I find out I'm having a little girl is the same day they tell me that she's not going to live. Well, I had never had a mother-daughter relationship. I didn't grow up with one. So I had always wanted to know what that felt like to have a mother-daughter relationship. And we had struggled to have children in the first place. And so here I am, just distraught, thinking everything I'd dreamed about, everything I'd hoped about, and it's being taken from me. And when the doctor came in, I just sat and cried for a moment. Not Troy Maxwell. Mm -mm. No. He jumped up out of his chair and he pointed to the doctor and he said, my daughter will live and not die. And he started quoting scriptures. And I'll be honest with you, my flesh was having a heyday right then. I was just struggling to even process because I was coming into the room with excitement and leaving with the worst case scenario. So my, my emotions, I was all up in my feelings and I was just trying to process what I was even feeling in the moment. Went home for three days. I laid in the bed with the covers up and just sobbed. After the third day, much like Jesus, Troy came and pulled the covers away. The covers rolled away. He said, get up. He said, if you don't have enough faith, I've got enough for both of us. Now get up and fight. And I remember getting up in pain, but making a decision that I needed to make sure that what I was speaking was the word of God and not the word of the doctor. Will you stand on your feet with me? So what did I do? My feelings didn't go away right then and there. But what I had to do is an old saying in church world, I had to feed my faith and starve my doubt. I was actually feeding my doubt and starving my faith. So I had to get into the word of God and I found every single scripture that I could find on healing. Every single scripture and I posted it all over my mirror. I put them on the dashboard of my car I visit the refrigerator a lot, so I had them all over the refrigerator. Anywhere that my eyes were going to be looking at, I made sure the Word of God was what I was seeing, and I was quoting the Word of God back because my flesh needed to bow its knee. Every name will bow to the name of Jesus, including the name of sickness. And so here I am in the battle of my life, and I wrote scriptures down like Psalm 107, says he sent out his word and he healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Isaiah 53, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So I would say, by your wounds, Cabal is healed. I would insert her name. She will live and she will not die. Every single scripture I could get a hold of. That's what I was feeding on. You see, what happens is 
We understand physically that we need to feed in order to keep our body growing. But sometimes what we forget is that we need to feed spiritually to keep our spirit going. And we've got to get back to feeding on the right thing. And if you want to know how good you're doing at feeding on the right thing, go through a situation and see what comes out. When we feel the squeeze, what's in there comes out. And that was a test for me to say, you know what, Penny, you got to learn a little, a little bit more how to trust in the Lord. Because had I not been able to have the faith to believe for her birth, I can promise you, you wouldn't be sitting here right now believing for me, believing for Freedom House to be born. We, we don't take the Goliaths down unless we learn the lion and the bears first. And God is teaching us how to trust and how to believe and how to use our faith. But we got to engage with the sword and we got to pull the sword out. Use that offensive weapon. So what does your situation look like? Maybe you need to learn to trust God for your finances, that he is your provider and everything you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Start quoting that. Maybe you're going through a situation with your child. And you need to start confessing what the word of God says is I'm going to raise them in your house, Lord. And Lord, I'm going to believe that the word of God is going in them. It's nigh them, even in their mouth, Father God, that they will not turn from the path that you have put them on, God, that even in their old age, they will return. The prodigal sons will come back. Prodigal daughters will come back. Maybe you're believing for your marriage. And you need to quote what God has put together. Let no man put asunder. Whatever it is in your situation, maybe you are believing for loneliness to be removed from your heart. God, you are with me. You don't forsake me, even though I feel like I'm alone. David said it all the time in the Psalms. He felt like he was abandoned by God. And what's so interesting is when he was just honest with God about where he was and he began to declare it and cry it out by the end of the verse, he's like, but God, you're a refuge. You're a strong tower. You're a fortress that I can run into and I can be safe. Can I just ask you, is the word of God down deep in your soul? And if it's not, what if we started today and made a change? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? If you're in here today and you just say, you know what? I realize how valuable and important and incredibly powerful the word of God is. And I just wanna make a declaration that today I'm gonna spend more time in the word of God. I just want to make that declaration today that I want to put first things first and I want to spend more time in the word of God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? You can lift it up. Awesome. You can bring it back down. Then there's a, another group in here. Maybe you don't know what Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, you will be saved. Maybe you feel today that there's been some distance between you and God. 
And that if today was your last day on earth, you don't know 100% sure where you would spend eternity, but you want to be 100% sure before you walk out of here today or before you leave our online experience. Online, if this is for you, there's a hand right there that you can click, you can agree, and all of our online team is there praying with you. And here in this room, if you say, man, I'm tired of the distance, I wanna close the distance that's been between me and God, would you just lift your hand up? All over the room, thank you. Here's what we're gonna do. I wanna pray this one prayer, and I would love for all of us in the room, online, I'd like for all of us to say this out loud, loud enough so our ears can hear it. Heavenly Father, we come before you boldly, and we just ask you, to remove anything from our past. Restore us to our right place with you. Old things are passed away. All things are new. God, bridge the gap. Bridge the distance that's been between us. God, I want to hear your voice like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to just encourage you. Yeah, you can clap. That's a good place to clap. I have people tell me a lot that they struggle to hear God's voice. I want to make it real simple and real plain for you. There's over a thousand pages of God's voice right here. Over a thousand pages of God speaking. What I have found is when I open this up, And here's the thing, I I understand that there's people at all different places in their walk with God. Maybe you just need to try a translation that is a little easier for you to understand. If you're new to the things of God, try the message translation. It reads like a story. The, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek, and sometimes people get caught up on like the New King James or King James. You know, King James is the these and the thous. Don't let the way that they talked in that time throw you off of really getting the power that is in your hands. And if you want us to help you with that, we'll give you a Bible. We'll do whatever we can. We just want you digging in the word of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.